kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let's stand and sing. As we work through the Sermon on the Mount, we're, we're thinking through, and Jesus is teaching us how to be a good Christian, how to be a good member of God's kingdom. And so the, 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 the question this evening is, do we want to be a good Christian? And the answer for us all is yes. And so we're looking at, well, how do we be a good Christian? How can we be the Christian that's described in this sermon. That's what we're looking at tonight. How can we be the Christian that's described in this sermon? And, and first of all, central to, to being a good Christian is, is understanding what God's like. And, and so we start with the question, how do you picture God? How do you think about God? It might seem like a silly question, but, but it's perhaps the most important question a Christian can be asked. How do you see God? Because the answer will shape how you approach him. The answer will shape how you live for him. 
The answer will shape how we try and please him. If you picture God as austere and detached and begrudging and unfriendly and a little bit mardy, then you'll be judgmental of other people. You'll be insecure yourself because you'll all be wondering, is he mad at me? And if you understand God, yes, to be, to, to be holy, but to be merciful and to be just and to be loving and to be kind, we'll be secure. And we'll treat other people well. And we won't be scared of him falling out with us. And so it's a really poor, important question. Now, how do you picture God? Because the way we picture him shapes how we'll approach him. And this passage, actually, is as we, as we want and as we desire, this Christian character that's been described for us for two chapters now, how do we approach God in order to gain that character? The Sermon on the Mount is about how to live as a Christian in a non-Christian world, how to belong to God's kingdom in this kingdom. And so the sermon begins, doesn't it, with, with this teaching that, that we must begin with poverty of spirit. We must begin by acknowledging I am spiritually bankrupt. Before, before a holy God, me at my best is spiritually bankrupt. And if, if we see ourselves like that, then how can we pick specks from other people's eyes? And so Jesus takes us through that a follower of Christ, not perfectly, but will have this character. We'll have a poverty of spirit. That means we're not self-righteous. We'll mourn over our sin. We will sin, but we'll hate it. We'll violently pursue righteousness. We'll be peacemakers, not trouble causers. We'll be salt and light. That, you know, there'll be an honesty about us that will flavor society. That we won't be angry people, but we'll be faithful people. We won't look for loopholes when it comes to serving Jesus. We'll go beyond the core. We'll go the extra mile in serving Jesus because we love him. We'll love those who hate us and we'll not be hypocritical in our giving, our praying or our religious duties. What you see will be what you get with us. We'll be forgiving. We won't be materialistic. We'll be gracious and we'll be non-judgmental. So who's a good Christian if that's the character? See, the problem is None of us are consistently always those things. So how can we be that person that Jesus describes? In one sense, we never can, this side of heaven. But we can be genuinely spiritual people. How can we genuinely be those kind of people? Because the bar's high. Jesus says the righteousness that we've, we have, it's got to go beyond the superficial righteousness of the Pharisees. It's got to be real. So how do we get there? And the first thing we, we always think is, I've just got to try harder. I'm going to try harder to be a better Christian. But I don't think that's the answer. It's, it's a part of the working out of the answer, but it's not the answer. Jesus is beginning to wrap this sermon up. And, and while he's been applying things all the way as he goes, really the rest of the sermon now, we've got about three sermons left, and the rest of it is, is just starting to nail things down and apply things. So what does it mean to be a good Christian? How can we be the people that God calls us to be? How can we be the people that Jesus describes a Christian should be in this passage? Well, I want to look at three words tonight. So that's the simplest way I could break it down. Ask, understand, 
and do. How can I be a good Christian? How can I have the character that Jesus describes in this sermon? Well, Jesus knows it's impossible for us. And so the first thing we do, if we want to be a good Christian, is we ask. Verse 7 to 8, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks, it will be opened. That's absolute, isn't it? What do we need to do if we want to be a good Christian? Ask, seek, knock. If the key to, if the key to starting the Christian life is a poverty of spirit, the key to gaining Christian character has got to be asking, seeking, and knocking. Asking, seeking, and knocking acknowledges I haven't got the answer within me. I need it from outside. It's this, it's Lord, I want to be this, but I can't be. Lord, I'm going to keep asking you for help, and I'm going to seek after you. I'm not going to leave it, and I'm going to daily and consciously seek and knock. And I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep knocking. And Jesus says, well, if you ask, it will be given. If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, it will be opened. Jesus is teaching as an essential of his kingdom. A a kingdom essential. That if if you want to display these characteristics that he's spoken about, it is hard work, but not the hard work that we think. It's not hard work to be better. It's persisting in coming to Jesus. It's persisting, if you like, in acknowledging we can't do it, but asking for help. And that means every day we come to God and we ask and we seek And we knock for his help and for his blessing. It's not persistence in the sense, I must do better. It's persistence in the sense, I can't do it on my own, so I've got to keep coming to Jesus. I've got to keep seeking him. I've got to keep seeking his righteousness. It's not just something I do once and forever. And if we get up in the morning thinking, I've got to be a better Christian today than I was yesterday, we'll just go to bed feeling demoralized. So the lesson is, before we put the effort in, before we put the sweat into pursuing holiness and pursuing this character, we recognize the greatest thing we can do is come to Jesus every day, acknowledge our sin and ask him for help. And he will give us what we ask for. What we miss in English tradition, uh, translations is that the words that Jesus used, when he says, ask, seek, and knock, it's not ask once. It's, it's a continuous asking. Continue to ask, continue to seek, continue to knock. Do it throughout your lifetime. Remember we said at the beginning of of this series, I think it was, the Christian life is a life of repentance. The standard Jesus sets in the Sermon on the Mount is impossibly high. And as we look at the characteristics, we realize we fall short. Even genuinely we fall short in all of them. And so we need to ask and we need to seek and we need to knock and we need to, to persist in doing it. We need to be like that widow before the judge. So the essential thing, if we, want a good, if we want to have a good Christian character, if we want to be good Christians, the essential thing is we persist in coming to Jesus every day and asking that he'll produce his character in us, confessing and seeking and knocking. And we don't ask once, we, we, we seek after it. And you notice the asking, seeking, and knocking will be rewarded. Those who ask will receive. Those who seek will find. Those who knock will have it opened. It will be given. What will be given? The character that 
Jesus has promised us. Seek and you will find. Jeremiah 29 verse 3, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, we don't earn holiness, but we don't stumble into holiness. We seek God. And the discipline is we constantly remind ourselves, I'm weak, I need God's strength, I seek you, Lord, I'm serious about it, I persist in doing it, I'm knocking. See, the, the, the key to the Christian life isn't that we always do well, it's that we're always coming to Jesus. How often do we start something and pack it in because it's hard? Especially prayer. I think I want to pray about something, we pray for a week or maybe pray for a month and it's hard and we pack up. That's not seeking and knocking, that's not persisting. And if our persistence is just to try harder and be better, it'll emotionally drain us, it'll physically drain us. And I need to hear this as well. The thing we're persisting in is recognizing I need Jesus every day. Our persistence is that we persist in coming to Jesus every day. So that's the kingdom essential. How do I get this character? Well, out of our poverty of spirit, we ask and we ask and we ask. And we're told if we truly seek God with more than a passing interest, he'll give us the things that we ask for because we're asking for good things. We're asking for things that he's told us in this sermon, the characteristic that he tells us we need. So how can I be a good Christian? Humbly and persistently we recognize we're weak. We ask God for help and we will receive it. Seek after that character and we will find it. Knock and he will open. Did you know that the Lord loves us to pester him? I get wound up when my kids pester me. The Lord loves it when we pester him. It shows that we rely on him. But more than just showing that we rely on him, it's not a power trip for him. It gives the Lord opportunity to do what he loves doing. Give. So how do we see God? Is he grumpy or does he love to give? And the answer to that will shape how we approach him. God loves to supply our needs. He loves to give. And we're told that he gives us according to our riches in glory, aren't we? I know I've said this before, but it's ever so important. You've got a granddad who's a multimillionaire, and it's Christmas coming up. And your granddad's promised you a present. You think, great, I've got a granddad who's a millionaire, and he's going to buy me a present. And he makes you an offer. He says, right, Ben, you can either have a gift out of my riches or according to my riches. Which would you pick? See, if I get a gift out of his riches, it could be anything. It could be fabulous, but it could be something for a fiver because it's just coming out of his riches. But if he gives me according to his riches, that's different. If, I, if he gives me according to his riches, it's going to be fantastic because it's in proportion to his wealth. His gift will reflect his wealth. His gift will reflect his generosity. So how do we see God when we, when we come to him? Do we see him as gracious and, and rich? Because Paul tells the Philippians that when God supplies our needs, he does it according to his riches in glory. God doesn't encourage us to ask and seek and knock and then be cruel and not give. He loves to give. He doesn't dangle a carrot in front of us and then withhold a reward. Romans 8, it says if, if, if he gave his son for us, if Jesus has died for us, how will he not freely give you everything you need? And this leads into our next 
word, which is understand. I know we've already kind of talked about this, but if we're to ask and seek and knock, well, we need to understand who it is we're asking and seeking and knocking to. And again, it's how do we picture God? Is he begrudging? Does he get fed up when we knock? Because if, if, if we think like that, it'll affect how we knock. So how should we see God? Verse 9, what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he'll give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So he's saying, I'm a father who loves you. If I'm in trouble, or if I need something, the first person I go to is my dad. I might be embarrassed, but I'm not scared. Even if I've done something wrong, I'm not scared because I know I can go to him because he loves me. That's not quite true. I, I actually go to my mum, and my mum tells me dad what to do. But you get the point. We've got a father who, when we're in trouble, we shouldn't be embarrassed about coming to him. We go to him. That's the, that's the logic of God's kingdom. He's a loving father. He's, he, he, God's logic, Jesus' logic in this passage is this. If we love our kids, we'll do anything for them when they ask. All of us here as parents, if we, had, if we have the, the power to do something good for our kids, we will do it. And yet we're sinners. How much more will our heavenly father give good things to those who ask him? It's, it's simple logic, isn't it? Which father had, had give his son or his child something harmful? Here's Alice. And let's pretend. Alice wants a goldfish for Christmas. Do you want a goldfish for Christmas, Alice? No? Well, let's, I'm telling you you do just for, the na- for now. She wants a goldfish for Christmas. So Chris wraps up a bowl. And it's Christmas morning. And he says to Alice, close your eyes and put your hand in the bowl. And she puts her hand in, but rather than a goldfish being in there, there's an adder. Even Chris wouldn't do that. And he's a sinner. Us human fathers, we're sinners. That's what Jesus means when he calls us evil. We've got a sinful nature. But when it comes to our kids, we want what's good for them. We give them what's good if it's in our power. How much more, Jesus is saying, the God who gave his son for us, the God who loves us with a, a perfect love, how much more will he give us the good things that we ask and seek and knock from him? These characteristics that Jesus talked about in this sermon, we want to grow in them. We want to commit to asking and seeking and knocking and, and see what happens. I'm thinking as I go through this, how do we apply it? Let's, let's try and do it. Do you really suffer from anxiety? I suffer from anxiety. How about every time you feel anxious, we ask God to remind us of our care for him, remind us that we're more precious than a sparrow, remind us that we're more precious than a flower, and ask him to strengthen our mind, and let's see if it helps. Because I think it will. I'm going to commit to doing that. Do you struggle being judgmental? Problem is, if you do, you probably don't think you do. But why don't you commit to praying every day Lord, make me aware of the planks in my own eyes. And see what happens. I think he will make you aware. You see, the answer to Jesus' teaching of what we need to be like as Christians, it isn't firstly, try harder. Firstly, it's come to me and ask me. 
Trust me. Trust the Holy Spirit. And then when we've asked and sought and knocked, it is legitimate as part of that to try harder. See, there is a do in this passage. That's the third thing. We've, we've asked, we've understood. Now do. We have to make every effort towards godliness. God doesn't reward laziness. We don't say, Lord, help me do this and then not make an effort. It's like somebody saying, Lord, help me lose weight and then going straight to the shop and buying a load of chocolate. It's like saying, Lord, help me because help, help me, you know I'm struggling with sexual purity. And then you text your boyfriend, come round me, mum and dad are out. We wouldn't do that, would we? But with spiritual things, sometimes we, we can. We pray, but we don't make the effort. Lord, please help me not to be ruled by money. Lord, please help me, help me to be gentler. But then we just leave it as a prayer. We don't act on it. And it brings us to our final word, which is do. Jesus has finished the body of the Sermon on the Mount now. There's no more real teaching, if you like, in the sermon. It's just an application from now on. And as he brings the sermon to a close, he summarizes the whole of his teaching in verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I think that sounds a bit, a bit strange. This is, the, this is the law and the prophets. Do to people what you want them to do to you. It sounds ecumenical, doesn't it? It sounds a bit liberal. What does a member of God's kingdom look like in practice? What does poverty of spirit and meekness and righteousness look like in practice? We, we can't detach this from everything else Jesus says. But Jesus says, we'll treat people in the way we want to be treated. He said, if you, if you treat people how you want to be treated, it sums up all of my teaching. It sums up the law and the prophets. And we think, well, that's a, that's a bit wishy-washy. How do we be the best follower of Jesus? Well, this is what these things look like in practice. We're, we're nice people who practice what we preach. So important, isn't it, that we're, we're people who practice what we preach. So important to be nice. So important to be kind. So important to be patient and to be gentle. I, I love truth. I love reformed truth. I love biblical truth. It's far more important, I think, for me to be gentle than to be learned. We treat people how we want to be treated. We want to be treated with mercy. When we fail, we want forgiveness. We want, we want to be treated fairly. We want people to be faithful to us. See, what we believe and what we say and what we testify is massively important. But if how we treat people, that's, that's what shows us who we are. If we say one thing and do another thing, people, will, people won't notice what we say, they'll notice what we do. And that's the test. Now, how, how does what we believe about Jesus make us live? Because unless... It makes us meek and gentle and gracious and lovers of enemies and forgiving and non-judgmental. It doesn't matter whether we understand all the doctrines. It's not Jesus that we have. It's just some warped kind of self-righteousness. And this is not act like this and people will be. It's not, this is not saying do to others what you want them to do to, to you. And if you do to others what you want them to do to you, they'll be nice to you. No, Jesus is not saying that. He's not saying be kind to other people so they'll be kind to you. Jesus was the kindest person ever and they murdered him. Be kind and people might still be horrible to us. But we still treat people how we want to be treated. Even if they don't treat us like that. That's a mark of spirituality, isn't it? Have you noticed as well about this last verse how Jesus 
states it positively rather than negatively. And it's what I mean. Being a follower of Jesus isn't just about the things we hold back from. See, being a Christian does mean we don't do certain things. But the law, Jesus doesn't say the law is fulfilled by the things we don't do. The law is fulfilled by the things we do. The law isn't determined, defined by the evil we avoid, but by the good that we do. Jesus isn't saying, if you don't want to be duped, don't dupe anybody. If you don't want to be robbed, don't rob anybody. It's more powerful than that. He's stating it positively. A life that's gripped by the gospel doesn't just want to resist doing bad to other people. It wants to do good to them. It's not just don't be judgmental. It's build them up. It's not just don't be tight. It's be generous. It's not just don't be miserable, it's be kind. Do you see the difference? We we often tend to make Christianity about don't do this, 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 don't do this. But Jesus is saying, no, we're marked out by what we do. As believers, we ask, we seek, we knock, we ask God for help, and then we look for opportunities to be a blessing. That's what Jesus means when he says our righteousness has to go beyond the Pharisees. The Pharisees' righteousness was just a list of do's and don'ts. The righteousness of religious people is don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Christians can't do that. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. The righteousness of people changed by Jesus says you'll do this and you'll do this and you'll do this. We can end up coming defined by the things we're against, can't we, as Christians? That church there, what's that church like? Well, they're against this, they're against this, they're against this, they're against this. But we're to be defined by what we're for. We don't win people for Jesus by telling them what we're against. We win them by telling them what we're for. Do we love Jesus, but really, really, really dislike other believers? I bet you do this because I do it all the time. When you do something wrong, do you attribute the best motive to yourself? But when someone does something wrong to you, you attribute the worst motive to them. So if I do something wrong to someone, I didn't mean it. They, they, they probably took it wrong. But if someone does something to me, they've been planning that for weeks. They wanted to hurt me. And if we belong to Jesus, that's why we need to ask him, because it's hard. If we belong to Jesus, we will act in certain ways. Not perfectly, but it will be noticeable. Do we believe that Jesus is kind in how he deals with us? Well, be kind how you deal with people. Do we believe that Jesus has forgiven in the way that every single day without fail he forgives us, even when we've let him down and we've been hard and we've been sinful? Well, if we believe that he's forgiven and kind, we'll be forgiven and kind. And it won't be that sin doesn't matter, but people won't be scared to death of us. I've known Christians, and you've known Christians, I'm sure, and you're scared to death of them. Scared to death of them finding out something about you. Scared to death of being around them because you think, if I say this, they're probably looking for me to say it and they'll pick me up on it. That is not how a Christian should be. We should be building one up. It should be safe for us. Do we believe that Jesus is gentle? Then we'll be gentle. See, ultimately we can tell what people believe about Jesus by how they act. It's not how reformed we are. It's not if we've got all our doctrine ticked. We'll see in a a few verses' time. We ask, we seek, we knock. We remember our poverty of spirit. But how will we be known? We'll be known by our fruit. 
Because if we grasp this gospel that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, if we grasp that we're deserving of hell, if we grasp even as, as believers we're sinful apart from Jesus' righteousness, if we've grasped that, we will change. But we can only do that when the reality hits us of who we are and every day we go to Jesus and say, Lord, help me with this. Lord, I've done this, help me. Help me to be this. So the message I want to finish with tonight is this. Don't be overwhelmed if you feel rubbish. Don't be overwhelmed if you feel like you failed. You know, if you feel like a failure tonight, because you are. And I feel like a failure regular, it's because I am. Because there's none righteous, no, not one. But the one characteristic that Jesus loves, perhaps more than anything, is a poverty of spirit. Not a woe is me of spirit, but a poverty of spirit, a recognition, I need Jesus because I am a failure. And if you feel like that, you're on the right tracks. And if you feel like you've made it, and I don't need to hear this, you're on the wrong tracks. We take ourselves to him every day and we ask and we genuinely seek to change. And the Lord who loves to give will change us. And in the light of that, Jesus says, treat others how you want to be treated. And if you can do that, it pretty much shows you've got it. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, it's a strange thing that to attain this character that's so important, the first thing we have to do is realize that we're not like what we're described. And we need your help. And so in poverty of spirit, we ask you tonight, Lord Jesus, please help us. Lord, you know the things that wind us up. You know the things that grate us. You know the things that, that set us off. You know what our particular struggles are. Lord, we bring them to you. And we are going to seek to stop doing them. But we need your help and we'll need your help tomorrow. And we'll need your help the day after that. But we thank you that you've promised us that if we seek you with our heart, then when we ask, we will have it answered. And when we seek, we will find. And when we knock, you will open to us. Father, we want to take you at your word at that. And we want to be those who persistently ask for you to keep changing us in the, in the knowledge that you will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish with a carol, and it's a belter. Oh, holy night. Shine, it is the night.
one of the most encouraging ends to a book in the Bible. We read it regular. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding frustration. No, with exceeding joy. God wants to present us. He has joy in you and me. To God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.